Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We're here to recap the Titans' big win against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday, 20-0 in the first shutout at Nissan Stadium since the year 2000, Christmas Day to be specific. Now, we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to get into with this game. It was a dominant performance by the Titans. There are bones to pick. We'll pick some of them. Mostly good, though. However, as you guys just heard, the biggest revelation, perhaps, to come from this game is that after a couple of months off, and, and then a, a literal month off from football, Rashawn Evans has earned his way back into the introduction of this podcast with his impressive performance in his return on Sunday. Guys, that's about the best I've ever seen Rashawn Evans play. He, he was really good on Sunday. He was fantastic. Like, he was actually making plays, um, got a turnover, that wasn't the subject of, of the offense's attention, uh, and didn't make any bad plays. So... Welcome back to the podcast for this week. We'll see if it continues yes. uh, going forward. This is strictly, you know, we're, we're trying to go one and zero every week. Here, we're going to make it our, our evaluation every week and go from there. Yeah, I mean, not only is it, I mean, you said it might be the best game you've ever seen. Like, I don't ever remember him making plays from the backside like that. Like, that, I mean, there were plays where. I mean, he, it just looked like for some reason he hadn't been running full speed for the last two years because even when he was coming off the field, if you watched him change in sub packages, he was just full speed, speed, full speed sprinting towards the sidelines. Like so much so that at one point he ran by Vrabel so fast that Vrabel had to catch him because he was about to start to slip on the, uh, whatever mats they had laid out. Like it, I, I don't know where he got that pep in his step. I don't know if it's the Cunningham stuff or what, but it, that was the best game he's ever played. You know, Evans played well, and I, and I bring him up to start, obviously, to, to make a little bit of a joke with you know our, our podcast introduction. But, you know, Evans said something after the game that, that caught my ear. He said, you know, there's four games left, and guys are starting to come back. And we're just, what, two weeks removed from talking about the friggin' apocalypse that this team had at, at injuries. Evans is right, like, on Sunday, they obviously got him back. They got Julio Jones back. We'll talk more about Julio in a little bit. Uh, Jeremy McNichols returned. Nate Davis returned. 
And then you look ahead to this week, upcoming with the Steelers, Bud Dupree will be eligible to return. Uh, perhaps some other names can go in there as well, maybe David Long. Uh, it, it does feel like this is shaping up for the Titans to be in a decent position at the end of the season, so long as, as I said, I think last week on here, they get two of the big three, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry back. They got one. They need one more, though. Uh, but especially with the rest of the AFC sort of at the top of the AFC not separating itself, you know, I kind of put the Titans, Baltimore, New England, Buffalo, Kansas City, they're all kind of right there together. No one has really separated themselves from the pack yet. I I, I think the Titans proved that that they're in a they're getting toward a good position to compete at the end here. Yeah, it, it really is crucial to get a lot of these guys back. The, the team has just been so injured, um, and they're getting like players of, of weight back. Like One of them is Julio Jones. Uh, they're probably going to get A.J. Brown back within the next couple of weeks. Uh, his injury re- really didn't seem too too terrible, but Dupree should come back soon. And, I mean, Rappaport reported that Derrick Henry is probably going to be back before the playoffs even begin, so... I mean, they are they are in a good spot. They have a great record. They still have a great chance to get the the one seed if the Patriots just stumble one time and the Titans handle their business. Uh, and even if they don't, they're going to have you know home field advantage for most of the playoffs unless they you know play the one seed. So they really are in a good spot. The defense continues to play exceptionally well. Uh, the offense is still sputtering a little bit. They, they still have a couple of things that they have to iron out, but I think getting those three back Julio, AJ Brown and Derrick Henry, which it seems like they will for, for the playoffs, at least like that's huge. And they're definitely one of the more dangerous teams in the NFL. Yeah. And I remember when Henry went out, we talked about the value of running backs and, you know, how much it would change for the Titans offense. I think more than anything, as soon as everybody else started to get hurt on top of that, like Julio went on hour not too long after. And then uh, I think maybe the next week after actually, uh, and then uh, AJ like was hurt. Like, I don't know if the Titans offensive line will be extra motivated to block for Derrick Henry, but I know that, him coming back will be so symbolic of the team getting healthier and back to the team they quote unquote should be that I expect an offensive explosion, whether or not it's specifically because Derrick Henry is so much better, or if it's just because, okay, we've got all our big pieces back. Now we're ready to go because I mean, you listen to the guys before the bye week talk about how they were just mentally drained. I mean, obviously physically like, you could tell yesterday that those guys needed a rest and how much better they were after all, like that one week off. But, you know, I think Lawan said like it was a great time to like mentally readjust. And I think Vrabel said it too. And I mean, I think that's part of it. Like, I think the fact that it feels like you're going to lose somebody for the year each week is tough to sustain. Yeah. And then, you know, depending on what happens with Tory Carter, like it, it looks like they avoided most major injuries this week. So, you know, for the first seemingly the first time in forever, and they're also getting healthier, like you said, and they're layering guys back in, you know, I, I tweeted this uh, today, but they're going to get multiple guys back at each position group. So 
like in the defensive line and like the front, they're getting back Tier Tart and Bud Dupree soon. Then at linebacker, they'll get Zach Cunningham in, and then they'll have David Long sooner rather than later, according to Jim Wyatt. And then defensive backs, Jack Rabbit Jenkins and Chris Jackson should both be back, you know, pretty soon. So, I mean, that's that's important. That's just on that defensive side of the ball. And I want to jump on what you were saying about maybe even beyond the availability stuff, because look, the Jags stink, and and, and we'll get to our assessment of the Jags in a minute, but. What, what I sort of gained from watching the Titans yesterday is that the stuff that they were saying in the week leading up to the game about, oh, we feel so rested and rejuvenated, and it was like, you know, I think LaJuan said it felt like recharging the batteries, right? It proved to me, and I think to us, that, that none of that was lip service because they legitimately looked, like, faster. Vrabel said it after the game. He said they looked faster. They looked like there was more energy. And the performances that the Titans turned out in their two games heading into the bye were not indicative of what we expect and have come to expect from this team. Like, you know, even when the Titans lose games, we've come to expect a certain identity from them. And and they just didn't have that at all against New England or Houston. I mean, I, I've brought up the stat so many times. Nine turnovers in two games is an embarrassingly bad number. And, and Mike Vrabel's Titans don't do that. They're not you know, mistake prone like that. They were just, they were running out of juice. That's what was happening. Uh, partially because of the injuries, partially because, you know, it had been so long that they'd been playing every single week. Um, yeah. And, and I think that the buy really did give them that, that reset button. And, and now they're back on track to take care of business heading into the postseason. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't only getting some of these guys, injured guys back. It was also a lot of these guys who have been playing through injuries or just, you know, are kind of worn down because the bye week came so yeah. late, like crucial for them to just rejuvenate, you know, get a week off, just relax. Don't have to practice every single day. Don't have to al- always have your mind uh, on the game while also putting your body through it all. Uh, in the week leading up to it so like that's who that's huge also in addition to getting all all these injured guys slowly but surely back onto the team so yeah and and i mean it showed like they were playing definitely quick on defense kind of like they we had seen from them especially in the rams game where they were just flying around uh we kind of saw that granted it was the jaguars so we can't really um you know that's kind of what we should have expected but it's good to see the players themselves look fresh. Um, And I think most of them did. So it's definitely a good step forward. And I'm glad, uh, I'm glad they they finally got the bye week in order for them to rest because the playoffs are starting soon and having all of these players ready in rhythm and also feeling good is going to be really important. Yeah. And let's talk real quick about like, I know it's the Jaguars and they're terrible. I mean, how many terrible teams have we talked about the Titans losing to? Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, I mean, let, let me say this though, because I, okay, I do have ahead. something I want to say about the Jags to sort of preface this, because, I, I, and again, like you, those of you who follow me on Twitter know after the game I was having no room for this. Well, you know, the turnover points weren't great. Like, Titans won that game twenty to nothing. But here's my thing with the Jags. This this is perhaps a vulgar example, but bear with me. When I was in high school, we dissected animals one time in biology class, 
and they bring us these animals that were like stillborn animals. And you look at this sucker that they hand to you, and it looks like the animal, like you know, it has the head and the ears and the nose and everything, like it's all there, all the parts are there. And it, it looks like it, and you touch it, it feels like the animal, but it's not alive, and it never was alive. It 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 again, it, it looks like the animal, all the stuff is there, resembles it, feels like it. But there is nothing there. It is not alive. It is dead before we even, you know, stuck anything in it. That is the Jacksonville Jaguars, or at least what they were on Sunday. They had the uniforms on. They looked like an NFL team. They felt like an NFL team. But there was no life to them whatsoever. They were not living. They were not breathing. They were not in existence. And, And look, the Texans sucked, too, and the Titans lost to them. But, I mean, good night. I mean, the Titans basically just existed for three hours on Sunday. Will, you brought up the comment that Vrabel made to my question where he was like, you know, we just kind of are some of our best plays on defense. We're just playing our, our, our base defense. Titans sat there and played cover two and cover three and just ran the ball up the middle and didn't even break a sweat. It was 20 to nothing, and that game, there was no point in that game where you're like, oh, but they're letting them hang around. Like, after that opening touchdown drive, it was over. And so, this is not to say, yes, but it was, was it really that big of a deal because it was the Jaguars? Yes, it was. But man, that Jags team, I, I don't know, I've ever seen anything like that before. Just lifeless. I think Matthias is afraid to talk after you uh, I, went on the whole like life. <laughs> like, uh, I thought Will was going to go first, but I mean, yeah, that, that, that team is awful. And especially given all the background that had happened uh, in the week leading up to this game with Urban Meyer and the fact that he was calling his assistant coaches losers, uh, apparently he fought with Marvin Jones, even though he said that was fake. Um, they, I don't know. Like, they they are a disaster inside and out, but I mean, times won by twenty points. So Any time the times can win by twenty points, I'm I'm happy, and I don't really care who they're playing against. I mean, the Jaguars, like I know they are absolutely awful, but they, they played the Falcons close. They played the Colts close. They beat the Bills. Um, so I don't know. Like they could they could compete in certain situations. They clearly didn't in this one. But I do think we have to give credit to the Times, especially their defense that that pitched a shutout. That's not easy. I don't care who you're playing against. Like pitching a shutout against an NFL team is is, is no small task. So credit to the Times defense. Credit to the Titans in general. I mean, they came out hot. They scored on their their first offensive drive, and they pretty much just put the game out of hand right then and there. And like you said, in no at no moment was this game even closer did it feel like it could get close so respect to the times for at least getting that done especially after some of the things we've seen and my comment about them just sort of existing was not a criticism like that's all they had to do they just had to breathe for three hours to beat the jaguars yeah and yeah like you're not you're not wrong um I, like they did have the second strings in there, like picking off Trevor Lawrence, which is which was cool to see. Uh, yeah, like I I will say, like just in terms of 
like, oh, you know, they didn't have to push, you know, they didn't have their foot on the gas or anything because they didn't need to. That's true. But even if they had like a slightly like one or two more like above average weapons healthy, like it, or just one of the other two, like they're not settling for those field goals. And, you know, they wouldn't have to have the one that Randy Bullock missed. And so they'd have been up 21 to zero at halftime. Like the, the, the scores is 10 to zero at halftime. But I mean, people forget that it was, you know, two real, I mean, pretty, I don't know, like conservative field goals. Like, it, if they had better talent on the field, they could have easily like pushed and scored those touchdowns. So, yeah, like it, it was it was as emphatic a beatdown as as you're saying, Luke. It's just like, and if people do wish the score was higher, understand that it would have been if they were trying. Like, the, and I think we're all kind of making that same point. Like, because they did sneak up and hold the Bills to six points and beat them. Like. Uh, they did, you know, they have been competitive with other teams only to mess it up late. Like, this was one where as soon as they got off the bus and did that, what, like, third and eight draw or whatever at, like, <laughs> midfield and then punted, like, as soon as that happened, it was game over. Like, so, yeah, like, even me, who is notoriously, like, afraid of the, uh, another team coming from behind and making me look stupid when I tweet stuff, like, there was never any doubt. I mean, that opening drive, like I told y'all earlier, the Titans, it was touchback, I think, on the opening kick, and Titans went 75 yards for a touchdown drive. That was like the easiest, most sweat-free, nonchalant, 75-yard touchdown drive. Like, it, and it was a drive. It wasn't like, you know, one big play got him down there or anything. I'd have ever seen. I mean, just no, uh, uh, what, what, like there was no, the Jags didn't, get in their way there there was no reservation there was no barrier <laughs> yeah there's no there's no pushback or resistance he resistance um, yes that's the word yeah. i was looking for anytime a todd downing offense can score on the opening drive the, it, no <laughs> resistance is usually the words you're looking for yeah, yeah man that what do you do if you're the jags you gotta move on now right no, you got to keep no. Urban Meyer for at least another year like you got you got to really <laughs> like him instill his culture and you got to let him try this whole thing with Trevor Lawrence again. Like, what's the worst that could happen now? You've already partially ruined him. What are you going to completely ruin him? Nah, you got to keep him, man. Let's let, talk. Let me see. Go ahead, Matias. Hold on, because we we talked in the preview just real quick. We talked in the preview. Um, we asked ourselves, like, is Trevor Lawrence just this bad? Well, that's where I was and going. I, I, mean, I kind of defended him and said, no, <laughs> it was everything around him. But I'm going to be honest, it's both. It might be both. Yeah, so I, I have a buddy who works in the Jags organization, and I asked him, and, and he said that... Shot Khan. Yeah, that's it. And he said he felt <laughs> like that he's not always being put in positions to like make easy throws, like it's constantly him having to manufacture stuff. And and that's probably true to an extent, but like, on those four interceptions, one of them was not his fault. Chenault just dropped the pass, but, I mean, Buster Screen got him. The one to Fulton was just an arm punt, and then the the uh, who who had the Jay on that was just deceptive defense that he fell for. I mean, they were pretty bad. They were they were they were pretty bad. Like he was forcing things, and I understand like they're down a good amount, and, and they need to start pressing. But it was rough, man. Like he, he has not looked like the. Even close to the same yeah. guy that we 
at Clemson. Um, but I mean, this entire rookie class is kind of a kind of a side point. But this entire rookie class is is god awful right now, and I don't know if it's getting better anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, and well. rumored like Trevor Lawrence didn't like his day could have been way worse. Like it, he was doing things to himself that were dumb. Like remember the forty yard sack or whatever for Roberson, where he yeah. just basically turned around and ran straight back. And yeah. then he looked up because he thought Simmons wasn't rushing him anymore. And then he ran almost <laughs> into Landry and turned around and Roberson was there. Like, I mean, that was terrible. He also almost threw a pick to a money hooker too, that uh, bounced off the ground. Like, I yeah. mean, they, like there were like, it, it was not just like, Oh, what a crazy day where everything, you know, he, he messes up a little bit and it's like, no, it's like he was ripping the ball out of bounds. Like, he, like he was just like, I don't want to throw Like he was overthrowing people. Like it, it, it was a bad day. Well, you know, that's what Vrabel said when I asked after the game because, you know, to me, the biggest takeaway from this game, uh, to continue this conversation of trends that changed after the bye week, you know, two weeks into the bye week, nine zero, you know, minus nine turnover differential. Yesterday was plus four. Tannehill kept it to himself. The defense got four. And when I asked, like, you know, what was happening that, that make it turnover at such an alarming rate? And Vrabel was like, well, you know, you pressure him that much, and eventually, you know, he can't throw it out of bounds every time, <laughs> and and that's sort of what happened. They just, yeah, the Titans defense made them combust, and he made some, some, some poor decisions, some poor throws. I mean, the poor guy was under pressure the whole day. I mean, uh, was it Autry's sack where he just destroyed Jawan Taylor? I mean, worked him, uh, just brutal. Yeah, where he like he like uh, Jawan Taylor like oversets and then like Autry just walks him back and then cuts inside. Yeah. That, that was the, that was the like first sack of the game when the, it looked like he was going to get away with throwing it out of bounds and then immediately Harold Landry and Jeffrey Simmons kill him the next play too. Oh well, yeah. So and that, and that was the other thing. And you tweeted this and I, I didn't tweet it, but I remember mentioning this, what, which was that second sack. Like you could have split that one six ways. <laughs> I mean, yeah. do you well, want to talk just, about the pocket collapsing? And uh, I should also say, while while we're talking about this, like the layered pass rush that we hadn't seen forever, where you had guys looping and stuff, like that was back. And it's not just like, it's not like, oh, it's because the Jaguars' offensive line is so bad. It's like that, that's true. Like they're not a good offensive line, but it's like they're just doing different things. Like it's, it's very much like they looked at the defense and they're like, okay, we're going to take two extra days and we're going to make sure the defense understands that when we run this stunt, you know, guy who's replacing Bud Dupree for these games, this is what you have to be responsible for. So you don't give up a big, like run, like escape lane on the outside. And like, there were times where it, it, like, it looked like they had six guys rushing. Like I would look and I would be like, okay, well Simmons stunted that way. And then all of a sudden I'd see 98 on the other side of the offensive line. And I'd be like, how did he get there? Like it, it's, yeah. it's very interesting and it, it's very fun to go back and watch the way they do that. I want to ask this question sort of on that topic to you guys, because the answer that I saw a lot, you know, about the Houston and New England games as to why that layered pass rush wasn't there and why the sacks weren't coming. It was, well, you know, these these are teams that, that run offenses that make it hard to do that. You know, Houston moved the pocket so much with Terod Taylor that, you know, it's hard to get anything done. And, and New England was just getting the ball out so quick in that classic Josh McDaniels, Tom Brady style of offense. But, like, at a certain point, like, 
you can't just say throw up your hands and say, "Well, you know, it's hard to get a sack against this kind of team. Maybe we'll try next week when they want to drop back more." Like, there's there's got to be something you can do, right? Uh yeah, I don't know exactly what they did, but they definitely they definitely did the right things, and, and I think it's it was important for the pass rush to get back on track, especially after those those last two games before the buys where we, I mean, we talked about it um, in, in the lead up to this game that the pass rush was just non-existent against the Texans and the Patriots. Granted, the Jaguars, we've talked about, they're a mess and their offensive line is prone to give up a lot of pressure. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So we can't say it's a barometer of, of how the times are going to do going forward, but it's important to just get back to get back to that and give yourself confidence uh, going forward because the pass rush is so important. And I mean, the, the, the teams, uh, the Steelers are coming up and they don't exactly have a great offensive line either. So I, I could see the times kind of getting going again uh, in, in terms of pressuring the quarterback like they had been uh, during that winning streak in the middle of the season. Yeah. And, and there is something about like, when to pressure and when not to pressure. Like when the Titans don't pressure or stunt or anything like that on third and 10, I'm always confused. Like you do have to kind of pick your spot, but I think the problem is like, I I don't remember the Jaguars running it more than a couple of times in the first half. Like that they seem to have almost no interest in running the ball. And I get it because when they did run it, Jeffrey Simmons and Rashawn Evans and Harold Landry, like all those guys were like eating it up. But uh, when you do that and like you go empty, like you only really have a couple of options and the Titans were being like not even super aggressive. Like the defensive backs were just doing a really good job of like as soon as there was like the throwing motion started for Trevor Lawrence, they were attacking the wide receiver and trying to knock the ball out like almost to the point where they were almost early on some plays and like they just never gave them any breathing room. So like uh, you really can't do that much when you can't run the ball or when you can't fake that you might run the ball or when you're too predictable, which is why I hate empty as it is anyway. But yeah, like there's no reason why they shouldn't be doing this on third down, but uh, you know, I guess that they just don't want to show too much too early, but I do expect that we'd see way more of this uh, next week versus the Steelers. Back back to Urban Meyer for a second as you were talking. I mean, all I could think about as you were talking was just how bad the Jacks were. What were they had eight rushing yards? Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, I think Robinson had. Oh no, I think they had uh, seven maybe because or maybe Robinson had four or uh, like it was eight. four rushes. It was eight total. Oh, was it? Just brutal. But so <laughs> on Monday, Urban Meyer had his ga- day after game press conference, and he said, awesome. Andre Cisco has been playing a little bit more for us, I think. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Andre Cisco played zero defensive snaps yesterday. Like, and that, yeah. this, this is HT Demetrius Harvey of Big Cat Country. God. There's no chance like they actually prepare for games, right? Like, there's no way. There's no way they I mean, actually. Could you imagine what we would say 
if Mike Vrabel had stepped up to that podium yesterday and said, you know, you know, such and such players progressing for us, and you know, each and every week he's doing a little bit more for like some guy that didn't play, like Corey Levin or something. I mean, Kaharski would have a field day on him. Kaharski we would, would. forget uh, Paul, but, but yeah, but other yeah, other people would. Um, yeah, like it, it's 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 tough, you know. He's used to having these deep relationships with kids. If you've ever heard about his time at Ohio State and the great uh, personal connection he had with those kids, then you'll understand why it's hard for him to remember guys. I don't know if you'll understand the joke in that, but uh, <laughs> Draymond Jones was telling a story this preseason, uh, and he was talking about Urban Meyer and why it's never going to work for him in the NFL. And Spoiler alert, he's right. But he said that Draymond Jones uh, was like, like a two year starter or something like that. And like in the beginning of his second year, like he didn't even know Draymond Jones's name. Like in like, it, it was just like, he would try to talk to urban Meyer and urban Meyer would just like not stop whatever he was. like. He would like keep walking like while he was trying to talk to him and just like mm. ignore him. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's notoriously the worst. Like everybody hates him. You know, he went, he wins college football but th- like this is why like he doesn't re- know if Cisco played first of all because he's not re- reportedly he's not even involved in the defensive like anything and second of all he wouldn't know Cisco if it was Cisco asking him the question like he does, <laughs> he has no idea who that person is like so like granted he's just I don't like, know who Cisco is but yeah it's like the safety from Syracuse who's a rookie like it's like you know he that's that's the problem is like he just uses context clues to get through in coach speak to get to the next question and then collects his paycheck and you know who i feel bad for is the jags reporters like the beat guys because you know the the three of us and you know everybody that's on the titans beat like we we cover football like we we watch the game we write about what went wrong what went well you know we we ask about you know breaking down the tape and what's how's this guy gonna fit in Meanwhile, the Jags reporters have, by no choice of their own, they're having to cover a reality TV show. They're not covering a football team. Mike DiRocco, who's the Tehran for the Jaguars, he's not coming out of that game writing about X's and O's. He's writing about egos and who and leadership, and, and I would hate that. But that's what they have to do. They're just... They're TMZ reporters at this point. Again, by no <laughs> fault of their own. Like, they have been thrust in this position. I know. And they, ca- they can't even evaluate, like, what's happening on the field because... Because who cares? I mean, first of all, who cares? Second of all, it's an absolute disaster, and it doesn't seem like Urban Meyer's even coaching anyone, so you can't really evaluate <laughs> Trevor Lawrence or James Robinson or LaVisca Chenault. Like, what a mess, man. What a mess. <laughs> Yeah, you really like. It's not fair to him though. You really got to give him another year. Like let <laughs> let him let him really get his guys. Like let he, you know he only got to trade away C.J. Henderson this year. Like let him trade away Josh yeah. Allen. Let him potentially trade away uh, Trevor Lawrence. Like just just a clean pout. Like you know you got to you got to make sure he's got whatever he wants in front of him, and then you can make your decision. Titans got a hand. 
Titans got a handful of injured players back following the bye on Sunday. Foremost among them was, of course, wide receiver Julio Jones. We will get into Julio and his impact, what we liked and didn't like, and what we need to see from him moving forward. That's coming up in 30 seconds. You're listening to No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast. Guys, Julio Jones played whole game, came out of the game, talked to reporters after the game, said felt good, no tweaks, good to go, ready to ball. Uh, Did some nice things. Granted, you know, it's not like the passing game itself was very explosive. He made a few plays, I thought. But, you know, moving forward for Julio Jones, and I talked about this on our, our A to Z, A to Titan morning show yesterday. You know, when Julio was going in and out early in the season and he'd play two and a half quarters or he'd play three quarters and then miss the next game, and then he, you know, what what they and he kept going back to when they would get asked about that is, well, it's a long season. That's Julio said that multiple times. He says, it's a long season, you know. And, and a lot of fans, when I, me or anyone else would be critical, would say, well, you know, we just want to have him for the stretch run. You know, you know, a lot of fans said, I'd rather have him when it matters than in, you know, week five. Okay. We're there. <laughs> it matters now. Now, again, this isn't a criticism of his, of his game yesterday. He did what he was supposed to do. But it's time for this guy to show up. It is time for the weekly Julio Jones hamstring update to be a thing of the past. But what we need to see from Julio Jones is what happened yesterday and then, as Ryan Tannehill said after the game, building off of that. Because I asked Tannehill, you know, the sort of stock, I needed a quote about Julio and I asked sort of the stock question, you know, what was it like having Julio back out there? He said, good having him back out there. Now what we want to do is take that and build off of it. And you know what has to happen to build off of that? He has to be out there. And so now we start to look at Julio Jones. It is time to start evaluating him in the context of what they traded for him to be. You know, this is not them taking a flyer on some washed-up, old, great player who might have a little bit left in the tank. They gave up a second-round draft pick and $15 million for this guy. And, and we're treating him like the former example. So, again, this isn't a criticism of yesterday. He was fine. But moving forward, it is time to build, and it is time for this guy, especially with A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry still out for the next couple of weeks at least, it's time for him to be the man, right? I mean, yeah, that's what we traded for him for, you know? Like, we gave up a a decent uh, amount of draft capital. Uh, we're paying him a good amount. Like th- this is what we brought him in for, and he hasn't been able to showcase it because of injuries. Um, he flashed it in the Seattle game. He was fantastic in that game, uh, but it's just been an injury March season uh, so far. I'm glad that he came out of this game healthy, uh, but that needs to continue. Like you said, like we need him out there every single week. Um, and, and if he is, I, I do think he's going to start building a little bit more chemistry uh, with Ryan Tannehill. Um, and I think it's actually beneficial that A.J. Brown isn't out there just yet because he can kind of get that one on one time with Tannehill. Um, and that could end up being beneficial uh, as we head into the playoffs. 
I think this next week, I, I mean, assuming they let him play the whole game and don't really have him on any restrictions, uh, I think this Pittsburgh game could, could be a bit of a breakout game for him because the Steelers, they cannot cover receivers. It, it, it's it's incredible. I don't know what they're doing, uh, but they leave all their cornerbacks one-on-one on an island, um, and they just let them run in breaking routes like w- without without hesitation, without resistance. We saw with Justin Jefferson um, on Thursday night football last week, uh, they, they're kind of a disaster defensively. And I think Julio could really take advantage, uh, if the Titans decide to feed him and if his hamstring and his body uh, allows him to be fed. Yeah. Like what I think Julio had like four catches and he played, he only played 45% of the offensive snaps yesterday and largely because like you said, they, you know, they didn't need him to play. They just needed so, to exist to win that. Yeah. Game. So it's like, so let's say like they double that and he plays the whole game or he plays 90% of the game and he gets seven catches. Like it, it does that meet the requirement? Because the, the problem is he's really not in a position to make any big plays right now because the offensive line still doesn't have their stuff together. Yeah. So until, until the offensive line can hold up for more than two and a half seconds, like I wrote about it earlier today, like, if you're playing the Titans and you're afraid of Julio Jones, don't put another safety behind him. What you should do is you should back your corner up 10 yards and then just tell him to play as soon as Julio gets to 10 yards, stick with him after that. Like it follow him. Like if he, if he breaks early, go, go down and do it then. But like, he's not going to get behind you and have enough time to really like beat you deep because the offensive line just can't hold up long enough. So, I mean, it's almost a moot point. Like, until the Titans can figure out a way to protect Tannehill long enough to throw deep passes, like, there's only so much he can do because he's really not going to be, like, a catch-and-run kind of guy. Like, he really wasn't that with Atlanta. He was a guy who would catch a whole bunch of 15-yard passes, and then every now and then he'd fake the 15-yard and run a deep pass, and then they would try to hit him deep. And if the line could hold up, that would probably be fine. What, but, what's happening with the pass protection? Because it's a problem. And, you know, Vrabel was asked after the game, what did you think of Tannehill's performance in the win today? And the first thing out of his mouth, he said, we need to protect Ryan better. And he's right, because poor guy's got yeah. no time. I mean, he's exasperated. Like, you can tell he's furious. Like, because, I mean, he like, he, he, like, just got dejected, and he was like, we've got to protect him better. Like, Tannehill's tough. Like, I mean, like, that's all he, like, yeah. it, it was almost like he'd seen, like, somebody come back from the war. And you would never, this is the problem. Like Tannehill's, the biggest problem with Tannehill is he doesn't complain on the sideline or frown all the time like other quarterbacks do when they get hit. Like he's always, he's always smiling. He smiles pre-snap, but like when he's making his audibles, like and they zoom in on his face, like he's always smiling. (laughs) So people are just like, ah, it must be like, it must not be that bad. Like he's pretty cool with it. And it's like third and 18. And like Mariota was cool with a lot that he shouldn't have been cool with. But he was also like very sad. Like he was very sullen, like a lot. (laughs) Like it's, he wasn't like smiling and stuff like during the games. Like he would smile after when he was, you know, helping charities and being the nicest human ever. But, (laughs) Like, yeah, like the problem is like Tannehill will get rocked and just be like flat on his face and then he'll just pop up and he'll go back out there another play. Like and that that's why people don't seem to understand why it's as bad as it is. As it is. But like Questenberry gets beat like a, I mean, beat like a drum all the time. Like he like he's just not very good. The boys. Club. And then, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. And then, like, Nate Davis is so inconsistent. Like, sometimes he'll, like, he'll be fine for a whole game, and then other times it looks like he doesn't know how to anchor, like, versus pass rushers, and that's weird. The, I mean, and every, every now and then you'll get plays, like, where they just will let a guy completely come free. And, like, I mean, that happened, and we talked about it before the podcast, but we still don't really understand fully what happened with that free blitzer that hit Tannehill from the backside or whatever. Like, uh, we we have no idea whose responsibility that was, like, who needs to make a check. I mean, but then you were – the problem is, like, okay, if that was the problem and you still had Ben Jones, Roger Saffold, and Lawan playing at a high level, you could mitigate that. But it's like sometimes Saffold won't even know where he's supposed to go. Like, he'll just miss a guy. And then other times, like, I mean, we've seen Lawan get beat. Like, Lawan get when he gets beat, he gets beat multiple times, not once. Like, he's either rock solid or, yeah. like, they, they have to, like, he has to, like, really get back into the game and, like, step back up. But, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's all about Todd Downing, but whatever their blocking scheme is now is not working. I don't know if that's a Keith Carter thing that he needs to fix. Like, there's a lot of times, unless it's Lawan getting replaced, but any of the other four offensive linemen, if they go out, you can't tell the difference between them and the backup who comes in to replace them. So I guess Ben Jones is not fair because I think he's missed one play because he got poked in the eye or something or like he hurt himself and then he came back in. But no, that's not true because Corey Levin came in and he did well. Yeah. So everybody on that offensive line has shown that their backup is just as good or better at their position than they are. And there's a problem with that. Like, I I don't know if it's they don't have any confidence because they've been beaten so many times before or if I I don't know what the deal is, but it's just bad all around. Yeah, uh, to to my untrained eye, it looks like they're just never on the same page. I, I I just don't know how that's possible when they've been playing together for for so long. But it just seems to happen. Like there seems to be constant communication breakdowns in terms of who has to block who, um, and that's how a lot of the sacks have come. And I just I don't know. I don't know why that's happening. Well, I'll tell you why I think it's happening. There has not been one game this year. And when and read into week fifteen here, there's not been one game where the Titans preferred five offensive line starters, Lawan, Saffold, Jones, Davis, Quesenberry, have played every offensive snap. Because they're always in and out getting hurt. I think that has to do with a lot of this, and they can talk about, you know, next man up and we gotta operate as one unit and mesh when the new guy comes in, but it's not happening. I mean, they're having communication problems because every other drive, you got to tend to poor old Roger Saffold and get Aaron Brewer in there. That is true. Saffold and Luan are always on the floor after like every other play. Um, yeah, it's frustrating, and especially offensive line. Like you need the you need the continuity um, and the rhythm with with the person next to you. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You could make you could make the argument that Aaron Brewer is the most important offensive lineman on this team, other than Lawan probably, because it, seemingly every game it's just a pop quiz of hey I hope you know how to play left guard today hey I hope you know how to play center hey I know hope you know how to play right guard yeah like yeah I mean he he is he is the primary backup for all three of those positions and it's like a game of whack a mole trying to figure out which one he's going to play like I, I mean to his credit like. Saffold went out and he played left guard after spending 
uh, the previous two weeks at right guard. Like, and like I said, he played, I think he's played center in the past. Like, I, I mean, kudos to him. He's earned a starting job on this team next year somewhere. It's just whether it's going to be taken like Saffold spot or whether they move on from Ben Jones or whether he plays Nate Davis's spot and they try to figure something else out with Davis. I, I don't know, but they they clearly like him and value him enough, and he clearly does a good enough job where, I mean, he should get a job, like, somewhere on that line. Let's talk about Zach Cunningham, new Titans inside linebacker claimed off of waivers from the Houston Texans. There was that weird thing where Vrabel threw a temper tantrum and refused to talk about him. Uh, what are the Titans getting out of this guy? Because... I was inclined to think, because a lot of people were making the connection, which was an obvious one. You know, he played for Vrabel, he played for Bowen. But, like, my things are, I'm surprised they're okay with the money. And I know they're not really paying him much this year. And I and I don't know that they're going to pay him $10 million next year. I think they probably just cut their losses and move on. It's more of a rental, maybe. But I, I don't know how much he's going to play. Like, I know Vrabel likes him, but... Do you guys think that they're going to keep uh, Evans and Brown and David Long when he's healthy off the field for someone? I don't know, honestly. Like, it's a good question. I uh, I mean, I'm not surprised that they got him just because of the connection to Brable. Um, but, I mean, it's pretty clear they're not totally sold on the inside linebackers that are on the team uh, which is interesting because David Long has played so well. I know J.M. Brown and Rashawn Evans have been hurt, um, but you know they, they've been okay this season. Rashawn Evans hasn't been all that all that great, but he hasn't been a complete disaster uh, as of late, at least. And J.M. Brown has been solid. Uh, plus, Monty Rice has been has looked good when he's gotten the chance. So I was a little surprised that that they felt the need. Uh, to get him, but maybe it is a longer-term play. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how much he's going to play, honestly, this season because, first of all, he has, he has to get up to speed with the defense, and um, it, it's kind of new to him because because it's Shane Bowen, and Shane, this is Shane Bowen's first time as a defensive coordinator, so some of the stuff might be different um, than with Vrabel uh, in Houston. So I don't know. Like, and he hasn't been all that great, honestly. Zach Cunningham has um, over the past few seasons. He's his play has kind of tapered off a little bit. Uh, he's still a good tackler. He's pretty athletic, uh, but he really isn't all that much more than that. I don't know. I, I I mean I don't know if he would be the best linebacker on the team right now. Like I think David Long is probably better than him. Uh, I think. Jayon Brown is probably on par, in my opinion, but uh, I don't know what you guys think. Quick, quickly, before you chime in, Will, I think Monty Rice is done for the year because Bowen said something on Thursday along the lines of, you know, we look forward to getting him back next year and working with him. That didn't get a lot of attention, but I think Rice is yeah, done. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was I weird. did not he, know he let, he let that slip. He was not supposed to say that. But like, because he said at the end it was like the last question. He was like, "Yeah, we look forward to. We, we hope we can get him back in here next year." And it's like, "Uh oh." <laughs> and yeah. then it was like that was that was the last question. I was like, "Uh, uh oh." <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So what Cunningham is is he's like he's a weak side linebacker. Um, Dave. So first of all, David Long would still be 
the number one linebacker. Yes. If you're like, get a guy on the field, that's him. Other than that, Cunningham plays like Rashawn Evans played yesterday every game. <laughs> like that that's just who he is. Like he's like he knifes into the backfield from the backside, like he tracks stuff well. He uh, the difference is he communicates with the defense and he like helps them line up. Like he uh, makes like alert calls and all that. Like I think he's kind of uh the perfect compliment, I guess. Like but not not even compliment because it's not like he does what David Long doesn't. It's just they both do the same thing. But the problem people have is they're like, yeah, but he can't. He's not. He doesn't thrive as like a strong side guy. It's like that's not really true. Like he does as long as there's somebody else to do the other stuff. Like he'll he'll do the dirty work and he'll like take on the pulling blocker if somebody is going to be behind him and make the play. The problem is like. Bernardrick McKinney couldn't do it when he was there because he was 260 pounds. Like it's hard for him to get all the way across the field and like really like fit in that gap the way he's supposed to after the blocks gotten taken on. So he couldn't do that. Whereas David Long will have no problem filling yeah. that gap and vice versa. So, you know, Brable talked about it today and uh, you know, the question was what role do you see um, Cunningham playing in this defense? And as as if on cue, his I was first about response, to I was about to bring this yeah, up because this is first so funny. Was, I think he plays punt coverage, uh, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, the, I've got I've got the quote right like, here because I was like, I was ready to roll with it. It says Zach is a player that has really good link, very instinctive. He's a very instinctive player. He triggers. He has a lot of tackles. He's been a productive player in this league. Uh, he has played on the punt team. He has done a great job as a tackler on the punt team running down there in coverage. That is something I know Craig Aukerman is excited about. So excited about. Yeah, he he like talked about Are you how kidding he, me right now? He, he, he's, he's lying the way Vrabel does, but like when somebody asks him about a defensive player, his brain is like Okay, what special teams do they play? Hurry, like remember, like that's it's all he it's cares so weird. about. Like I mean, you I can't remember if you made the joke because there's two jokes we always make with Vrabel. It's it's either play multiple positions or play special teams. Yeah, and I mean it's like that's the, every the only people who can't prove themselves are offensive linemen. Everybody else has to prove themselves on special teams, <laughs> and then offensive linemen never get a chance because he's like, "You look like a guard I used to play against when I was in the league. Why don't you hop in there at guard?" <laughs> like, I, I mean, like that's how Jamil Douglas got a job for so long. Like, like that. I mean, Daniel Munyer was the center until his oh body gosh. couldn't handle like, it. Like, Brable's decision making process is bar none, like the worst in the NFL at offensive line decisions, but. Move moving beyond that, like his role will not be like we're going to claim you to be a special teams player because you wouldn't put yourself at risk of the ten million dollar injury clause yeah, or whatever yeah. that triggers. Like he's going to be as soon as he's up to speed, he's going to be the starting linebacker beside David Long, and then until then, I think he'll be a sub package guy who is on there on the field on like first and ten or so, kind of like how people think Rashawn Evans is. Like that, that's how he'll play. Yeah, I, I think that tracks. Let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bit of an enigma, huh? I mean, it is the Mike Tomlin Steelers. They are tough. They do stay in games, as Vrabel highlighted on Monday. 
But they got Ben Roethlisberger, quarterback, and that dude just goes back and forth between like, all right, you know, maybe there is something left to like just looking deceased on the field. I mean, it's it's an interesting opponent, I think, to to look at and think about. And I will say this, you know, I don't care who the quarterback is. It's always going to be tough to play at Heinz Field. That's one of those rare environments at the NFL where, you know, Titans fans complain, well, our stadium's always overrun by the by the visiting teams. I feel like that happens around the league, except for some rare places like Green Bay and and Pittsburgh is one of those. Yeah, it, it does have that kind of historic feel to it. So, I mean, I'm expecting I'm expecting a tough game. The Steelers generally play tough games but I, yeah. I, you know, I don't know they got they got crushed by the Bengals by 31 points a couple of weeks ago and I mean the Vikings were destroying them um until the Steelers mounted a late comeback in that Thursday night game so I don't know man I, I I do not know what to expect uh from the Steelers team I know Big Ben is pretty much washed he has no mobility and their offensive line is not very good so you could definitely get a lot of pressure on them. Their offensive line cannot run block very well, so Najee Harris really is not going to have a lot of room to work with. Um, but they do have weapons like Chase Claypool is very athletic, very fast. Deontay Johnson is one of the best route runners in the league uh, and has really taken another step forward uh, this season. Firemuth is a, is a good-looking young tight end. Uh, so on offense, they have pieces. The problem is whether their protection is going to hold up and whether Big Ben can actually get the ball to um, his position players. And I talked about a little bit about it earlier, but their defense is, is one of the most overrated units in the league. Like they just get gassed both in the run game and in the passing game. So the Titans could theoretically score a good amount of points in this game. The problem is the Titans offense has not uh, been playing well, but hopefully this is a game where they could get back on track. Yeah, like TJ Watt is good. Like TJ, and I, like when I say good, it's like he's he should be defensive player of the year. Like he has sixteen sacks in ten games. Like give 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 the man like the award. Like he's done more than anybody else. So he he is the one singular special elite talent on that team. Like Hayward's good. Roethlisberger's like fine. I mean, like he's obviously not old Big Ben, but it's like he can still do what he needs to do. Claypool's Claypool is DK Metcalf. Like they're they're like the same guy. Like they're like knuckleheads who are like big, like can like do anything you want, but they just seem like they're children in adults' bodies. And it seems like the longer they're on a team, the more everybody around hates them. Uh, so like that. Other than that, I mean. Firemouth is fine. Like uh, he he's done some good things. He also had like the game losing slash tying fumble versus the Lions, and you know it. Like he's he's fine. Like, uh, but yeah, like I I don't know what they are because it's like okay, since they tied with Detroit, like sixteen to sixteen, like not a high scoring game, tied in overtime, sixteen sixteen, they. Lost to the Chargers, but put up 37 points and were coming back in that game. Then they lost to the Bengals, got beat by 31, so it was 41 to 10. They beat the Ravens, and they won 20 to 19. And then they lost to the Vikings 28 to six or 28 to 36. So it's like 
for the most part, they just seem to find ways to end up like in a one score game other than that Bengals game. But it's like, I, I don't know. It's like they have some of the same things that the Titans have where they play up and down to people, but it's just, there's no consistency to them at all. So I, I've got no idea. Like the biggest thing is what happens with TJ Watt. Like, do they try to rush him back despite having a groin injury or do they try to keep him healthy? Because the last two games of the season they have are the Browns and the Ravens. And I mean, if they beat the Browns and the Ravens, they might make the playoffs just by how the rest of the AFC North is shaping up. Like if they can get to like, I guess it would have to be nine and six if they beat Kansas city at Kansas city. But like, I I, I would really try to make sure that TJ Watt was as healthy as possible. But other than like TJ Watt having a game where he has three plus sacks or something, like I don't know how this team has any sort of identity. Like Najee Harris is fine, but they like force feed him the ball so much. It's not like, you know, he's any spectacular, like dominant force. He's just the guy they have. He's averaging three and a half yards per carry. Like, I mean, that's that's fine. Like they throw him the ball too, but I, I guess his big, biggest asset is his durability. But they are a very confusing team to figure out. What I think Titans fans should perhaps be freaked out by is we had the conversation 20 minutes ago about the pass protection. And and that's after a game in which they faced the likes of Taven Bryant, draft bust extraordinaire, and Calevon Chase on. Well, now it's Stephon Tewitt, Cam Hayward, and TJ Watt. A little bit of a different animal. Uh, I don't think that matchup bodes terribly well for the Titans. No, Cam Hayward is 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 good. Like even at his advanced age, he is still one of the most disrupted forces. Um, and we've obviously we've talked about T.J. Watt. He has the ability to just wreck wreck the Titans' offensive line, and we've seen it happen too often. Uh, with the offensive line. So it's definitely something that the Titans need to do a better job of paying attention to. Like David Quesenberry is going to need help against DJ Watt because if he doesn't get it, it could, it could just derail the entire offensive game plan for the Titans. So I'm assuming they're going to do something to, you know, help him out either chipping with a running back or chipping with a tight end anything to just kind of slow down TJ Watt before instead of just giving him a free run um, at Quesenberry. But I mean, we'll see. I, I don't know. I really hope they, they do have a plan in place. Yeah. And the good news is it's not an uncommon opponent. Like they played them last year for the most part. They're the same team on both sides of the ball. Like that they, they're not drastically different anywhere, except they've got Najee Harris instead of, uh, James Conner, which I'm not sure that's necessarily an increase or a decrease in production. But, I mean, other than that, they're pretty much the same across the board. So, yeah, like, it shouldn't be a big, like, a completely different game plan. Uh, the difference is, is they if they do have T.J. Watt, he'll be banged up, and they're playing them late in the season versus Big Ben versus early in the season with Big Ben, which was always like the big issue because remember they went 10 and 0 last year and then i think they won one yeah. game the rest of the season and so, they got demolished in the playoffs 
Yeah, like the the later the later they drag on, the worse they seem to get. Which I mean, if you look at the record, yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. They started off, uh, they beat Buffalo, then they lost three straight against the Raiders, Cincinnati, and then uh, the Packers, which are tough teams. But then they won four straight, and now in their last five games, they've got one win, three losses, and a tie. So it's like it seems like they kind of hit their their hot stretch in October. And then, you know, ever since November, ever since it started getting cooler and cooler, they've really pulled back a little bit, except in garbage time when they come back and make things close. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want us to talk about which of these teams at the top of the AFC is going to be the Titans biggest challenger for the number one seed. And we'll talk about do the Titans have a legit shot at getting the number one seed? We'll also, of course, do Stop the Nonsense. That's coming up in just one second. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. So these top teams in the AFC, guys, I mentioned them earlier, Baltimore, New England, uh, Kansas City, Cincinnati was up there. Now they're kind of sliding down. I believe they won yesterday, right? Kansas City, yeah. Correct. By uh, like a billion. Cincinnati. I know oh, Kansas I'm City sorry. thumped I, the Raiders. I thought you said Kansas City. Cincinnati uh, won. Oh, no, yeah, they lost. Uh, they lost no, to the they Niners. Lost in overtime That's right. Yes. That's right. Okay. Yes. So, you know, they're, they're sort of sliding down a little bit. And then you have Buffalo, who lost in overtime to Tom Brady. None of these teams are really separating themselves from the pack. The Titans included. Like, a lot of Titans fans want to be like, why, why can't we get the number one seed, you know, because all these other teams stink. Well, you lost two games and turn the ball over nine times. So, like, don't act like the Titans are doing anything to separate themselves either. How, how do we think this plays out? Do the Titans have a shot? Because... Their schedule's not that bad. It's Pittsburgh, San Francisco, and then two duds to end the season in Miami and uh, Houston again. So, like, and, and with the effort we saw against the Jags yesterday, like, I think this team is capable of playing well and, and you know, winning all four of those games, potentially even. Uh, but, but someone's going to have to separate themselves in this pack, and it could come down to Week 18. I don't know. Um, but but what, what do you think? Like, who, who's the challenger at this point? Kansas City, to me who's really on the uptick, seems to be creeping up, even though the Titans do have the tiebreaker against them. Are we talking about for the one seed or yeah, just for the, the one AFC seed. The Titans are making Yeah, the one seed. Because, I, you know, obviously when Derrick Henry gets back, that changes everything. Yeah. I, I would go so far as to say the Ravens and the Chargers are, are out of the running. I mean, the Ravens, they're dealing with... Lamar Jackson with a sprained ankle right now. They just lost. They're also just um, not really playing very well. Yeah, yeah, they're honestly not the same Ravens that we had seen over the past couple of years. So I would say they're out of the running. I would say it's between the Patriots, Titans, and Chiefs. I think the Titans probably have the more accessible schedule, but I, I, I don't know. The Patriots don't exactly. It's tough. It's tough because, like, the Patriots at Indy, that's on Saturday night, um, which is tough. That's a really tough game. The Colts have been playing particularly well. Um, and, you know, Jonathan Taylor, MVP. And then they have to host the Bills. The Bills who are playing for 
spot. Like they're seventh right now in the AFC, and they need to. So that's a game where the Bills could really come hot. Then you get the Jaguars. Obviously, that's at the Patriots. Uh, and then they get the, at Miami. They always struggle in Miami. Always. Even when they had Tom Brady, they would always struggle uh, to beat the Dolphins in Miami. Plus, you got to think about the fact that the Dolphins are, are playing for a playoff sp- spot still. Like, they're 6-7. and seven. They're only one game out of a potential playoff spot. So, it's kind of tough. The Chiefs, they get the Chargers, they get the Steelers, the Bengals, and the Broncos. Like, that's a tough stretch. Yeah. I can see them dropping at least one of those. Uh, the problem is I, yeah, yeah. The problem is I can see the Titans dropping one of their next two. Also, it oh yeah. Is, it, like I mean, I don't think the Steelers are very good, but at Pittsburgh, like it could go wrong. Um, and against the Niners, that team is annoying. I don't think they're all that great, but they're annoying. Like they go on these ten-minute long drives with fifteen plays where they just run the ball. 11 times and they just drain the clock it, they are frustrating to play against so i don't know i i couldn't tell you a favor but i definitely think that the titans have a legitimate chance to still walk away uh with the one seed once this is all over yeah it's a good question because it it, it really all comes down to like this weekend or this a week i guess right because kansas city and the chargers play each other and then Indianapolis and uh, uh, New England play each other. So it's like there's a lot of different ways that could go because on paper you want the Chargers to win, right? Because then they'd be 9-5 and five and the Chiefs would be 9-5. Uh, is that right? Why would they be 9-5? and five? Oh, I guess, I guess we still got bye weeks or whatever. But, okay, so they're 8-5 and five now. They'd be 9-5 and five next week with a win. And then... Uh, the Chiefs would be nine and five if they had a loss, and then I, 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 the tiebreaker would go to the Chargers, right? But the Chargers after that, if they if they beat the Chiefs and they've got the Texans, Broncos, and Raiders, like as their last three games, like I mean the Broncos are tough. I just I don't know what the Raiders are right now, but the Texans, like that's a big red flag. That, that feels like an easy win, like for them. So it's like. I, I'm not really sure. I know the Titans have the easiest schedule left on paper of any team in the league, which is good. Um, but I mean, we've we've all watched the Titans enough to know that like there's no that they can find ways to lose against any of these teams. Um, but right now, I like I need to see a team beat uh, the Patriots before I'm like I write them off just because like. They they seem unkillable right now, and like they're obviously not. But it's like, man, like I I don't really know. Like they they could uh, like they could lose back to back. They could lose to the Colts, and they could lose a rematch to uh, Buffalo, and then everything is back in the Titans' court. But uh, it's just it, it's tough to see that happening after they've just been so methodical and like found ways to be brutally efficient and win. Yeah. Um, only about two people listening to this podcast are going to get this reference, but the Patriots seem like Real Madrid right now, like the big team from Spain that just cruises on its legacy and its tradition, and they just win with great defense and their name. 
Like, that's just what they're doing. Like, the Patriots just win with great defense and a good running game, and people are scared to play them, especially in New England. Like, it's just, it's annoying, but that's just who they are. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. New England is beatable, but like you said, let's see it. Kansas City just freaks you out because of Mahomes. But I think, like, just some of these other teams, Buffalo, Baltimore, not not very convincing. And, and the tiebreaker obviously helps a lot over Kansas City, but by the same stretch, New England also has a tiebreaker over the Titans. Let's do Stop the Nonsense, guys, as we wrap up. And by the way, this is the 199th episode of a Titans podcast that the three of us have recorded. Starting with the Titan-sized podcast ahead of... Oh gosh, was that 2017? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, this is so next week's going to be big number 200. Yeah, we're, I mean that's crazy. We're giving away Super Bowl tickets. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So you have to, you have to DM me in the next 5 minutes like in my time. Yes. So it's like you DM me about and you ask me, "Hey, I heard I'm doing Super Bowl tickets and you're not one of the other two hosts, then I'll get you Super Bowl tickets." So we'll we'll have um, we'll have something special cooked up next week for episode two hundred. Yeah, we'll do something cool. Um, I'm gonna start with stop the nonsense because I was sure that we were gonna talk about it at some point and we didn't get to it. Is this Claypool? Uh, because this is mine too. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, this is uh, the broadcast for the Titans game yesterday. Oh yeah, uh, I meant to bring this up. Where. Those morons, whichever whichever three morons CBS trots out to call whatever game they're calling, like it's the same same thing every week. Uh, like they, they early in the first like first half, like they're talking about what they what Trevor Lawrence told them and all that kind of stuff, and he, they said, and uh, number twenty six, that's Christian Fulton. Uh, if they if they give him time in the pocket, he really wants to test Christian Fulton. Yeah. And what a stupid thing to say. Like, well, so I, I pulled up the accounts. names. It was Spiro Didis and Jay Feely. Yeah, I know. I know it's Jay Feely for the the follow up tweet. That's my like stop the nonsense like bonus part of this. But <laughs> it, it's a stupid thing to say for a dozen reasons. But you know, like most importantly, like Buster Screen has played what one game for him, and that was against the Patriots. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, and then before that, he wasn't on the roster. So then you've got a guy on the other side who has routinely matched up with the best receivers on the other side of the field and shut them down or and made he them broke very, DK Metcalf. Yeah, like I mean, just like toast these guys, and like ve- like very rarely gets beaten at all for big plays, and it, you know doesn't really get beaten often for short plays. So I mean, he's just good. Like he's got a ton of pass breakups. He's just a really, really, really good player. And so they said that, and then a Buck Rising, friend of the show, uh, quote tweeted the clip and said, respectfully, I have no idea how someone could come to the conclusion, uh, or how somebody could watch the Titans uh, this season and come to this conclusion. And Jay Feely responded and said, this this was what Trevor told us in the meeting. Don't kill the messenger. He did try. Fulton made him him pay. And this is where... My stop the nonsense comes in because I am so tired of these lazy like people that do the commentary in this game. Like 
there was no what what should have happened is Trevor should have said that they should have said okay cool let me write this down then they should have gone back and watched any amount of Titans football or had somebody else watch any amount of Titans football and tell them if that was a good decision and they would have said no clearly not it's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard there's no way that should have been the conclusion what you should say is Trevor told us this and then tell them how that's a stupid game plan after he throws four <laughs> interceptions and that it was never brought up again. It was, it, you know, it's one of those things <laughs> where it's they're regurgitating information they hear from other people with no actual insight or added like depth to it. And it's why I think they should abolish these morons con games. Just make it a team stream thing. It, put Mike Keith in my headset, show the same broadcast, have it stream locally, like just pipe those in. Don't hire these idiots because they don't offer anything. They're just like anchor men sitting at the desk, <laughs> like talking about the same stuff that they have no opinion about. That they're just reading off a prompter. I, I do not understand it. I mean, if Trevor Lawrence told him that he wanted to target Fulton, they're obligated to tell the audience that. But I'm with you that it should be followed up with, and that's a wild thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Did you see that, Matias? Because like, you watched the game on TV, right? I did, yeah. Um, I didn't notice it, but then I saw the clip, um, and then Jay Feely like, tried to, to walk it back. So that, that, was, that was very funny. But, um, yeah, I, I, try to, I try to tune out the commentators usually, uh, especially the, the ones that, that call times games, unless it's Charles Davis. He is the only one who seems to actually know what he's talking about when it comes to the Titans because he covers them. Um, like he's the preseason guy. So usually when they put him for regular season games for the Titans, I'm like, okay, finally someone that will actually know what he's talking about with this team. My, my stop the nonsense is chase Claypool. Just wild going down, signaling for the first down as the clock continues to run. I was much more upset about it the night that it happened on Thursday than I am now. I've kind of gotten over it, but it made me upset watching that. Uh, just really dumb. Like, I, I, what? I, I, I can't even like get my head around it. It was so um, dis disconcerting to watch. Why? Like I remember Deshaun Watson did that one time in a game, and he got killed by the commentators on a Thursday night. And it wasn't even the same type of situation. Like they were just down by twenty, and he ran for first down. Steve Smith is who the commentator was. They were down by like twenty, and he ran for first down. He signals like first down. It's like, dude, get back to the huddle, man. But especially in that situation where like the time that came off for the little celebratory gesture actually affected their chance of winning the game. Like, oh my gosh. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's the worst. Like, and it's not even like it was an isolated incident because like he had the taunting call earlier in the game and he got benched and then he came back and did it. Like the the worst. I I hope he gets suspended for this game because he's a good player. Uh, like sus- like a soft suspension by the team, but like I don't know how Mike Tomlin does it. I mean, he—that dude's a legend. I mean, 
that guy made Antonio Brown look like a stable human being for a decade. I mean, the people like between Big Ben and every receiver that comes in there, it seems like. I mean, Juju Smith Schuster was doing the weird like TikTok stuff that everybody was like, "Hey, we hate that," and like he was like, "I'm going to keep doing it," and like, he just kept doing it. And like that was a problem, and then this, and then like Antonio Brown, and it's like I I don't know if he ever coached uh, Plaxico because I think Plaxico played there first before he played for the Giants, but you know it's it's one of those things where I'm just like, man, like what a stream of character concerns that he is like held together beautifully. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. Um... I don't know what Jake Claypool was thinking. He obviously, obviously he was not thinking. (laughs) Yeah, um, that was crazy. And then he got into a fight, like, on the field. He, like, got a temper tantrum because his his teammate was, like, trying to get the ball back. And, like, he was getting mad at him. Uh, Shout out to Eric Kendricks, who knocked the ball out, which ran at least seven. Now, I feel like that probably should have been a delay of game penalty. But savvy (laughs) play by the vet nonetheless. Yeah. Sure. Like by the rule, that's a delay of game penalty, but we'll let it slide. Yeah, but the refs don't see anything, so but that's for another that's for another day. Uh, so my stop the nonsense is Phil Sims uh, going on a crusade of oh, yeah. the analytics community. <laughs> uh, so John Harbaugh went for two um, th- this past week again, um, and it ended up not working out. Um, and Phil Sims on, I think, what is it, NFL Today? I don't even know the show, but whatever. Yeah, that's it. Uh, he, some of his quotes were, I want to see the analytics people come up and do the interview after the game. Tell me why you did it. John Harbaugh already did that, but it doesn't matter. And then he says, we don't put that in the analytics. I don't think, I don't know, I don't care. So he's pretty much saying that he does not care uh, what the analytics even say and, and what they stand for. Then Bill Cower comes in with paralysis by analysis. Uh, to top it off, the, the whole crew uh, does the spreadsheet thing, that uh, stereotype about analytics people. Um, and it was all just hilarious to me because the day before, John Harbaugh literally, after the game in his press conference, he literally explained why they went for it, and he said, if you get it or don't get it early, you'll know how many possessions you need. If you wait until the last two-point conversion and you don't get it, you've lost. It's just that simple, and I don't understand why it's so hard for some of these older people like Bill Cower, Phil Sims, for them to just accept that analytics, first of all, is a valuable tool. It doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all but a lot of the things that it brings you and a lot of the decisions uh, that are made with it in mind are usually right. So I don't, I don't understand, man. I, I really don't see the need to just hate on something that is supposed to help pretty much everyone and just completely disregard it because that's not how it used to be back in your day. Yeah, there's like an over reliance, like not I guess not even over reliance. They're just like, yeah, like back in my day, you coached with your gut, and I'm like, okay, like that's stupid, but it's also doesn't make any sense in your argument because it's not like it, it's just math. It's like 
this is like you can see how this gives you more information right it's like yeah but i'd rather just you know take that and then get the two point later i'm like okay but you see how that doesn't make sense right like it's like you can see why those numbers don't work and they're just like that's not the way we did it in my day and i'm like i hate you guys yeah i'm all about you know poking fun at the analytics nerds and like because there is some i guess gut that comes into it but like and that's Situation in particular, the numbers are, are pretty clear. Like, uh, it's, yeah, not great. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for joining in. Next week, we will be back for episode number 200 of Luke, Will, and Matthias Titans podcast. It's not episode 200 of No Nonsense, but it is episode 200 of us doing Titans podcasts together. We'll have some fun things in store, I'm sure. Until then, for Will and Matthias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world, you stop the nonsense. All right.